Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. The more you know your own heart, the more precious I think that song becomes to you. What I mean by that is, is nobody knows the impurities of yourself like you do. You know the things that your heart has desired that you know according to the word of the Lord is not a righteous, righteous desire. It's not a holy desire. The things that maybe the directions your life went at one point in time, but I say that to then bring in the powerful blood of Jesus. It's able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That no matter what your life was involved in, or maybe things you hadn't necessarily done or not done, but you recognize the wickedness of your heart, but yet Jesus washed you clean from all those things. So that you stand... Perfect righteousness before the Father. It's a wonderful gospel this morning. It's a wonderful message of salvation. I thank God for it. Does any of you have a testimony, a word of praise you'd like to share before we open the word of the Lord this morning to study and learn together? Jesus. That's, that's all I could think of and all I could get out while they were singing that song is thank you Jesus because it's because of him and that blood applied that I can I, I will be with him in heaven one day that, that's all that could come to me was thank you Jesus If not, open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew, Matthew chapter number 6. So we have been in the Old Testament learning about prayer, not that we, not by any stretch of the imagination that we cover every instance, uh, but that was not my aim in embarking on this study, uh, neither is it my aim to study every single instance or time that it's mentioned in the New Testament, uh, but just to uh, focus on prayer for a uh, uh, the weeks leading up to our revival. And, uh, but I do think it would be hard to have a study on prayer and not come to Matthew chapter number 6 and what is contained in these verses. Is If you're not sure, once you find your place, you'll recognize these verses very, very quickly, I'm sure. And it would be hard, I think, to have any kind of focus on prayer in the Scriptures and not find ourselves in Matthew chapter number 6, um, but I do also pray that as we read these verses, we wouldn't uh, quickly dismiss them or think, well, I've heard this all my life, I've said this prayer all my life, but we've come with a hunger and understanding that the Lord can teach us afresh and anew something we need to hear today and uh, help us to grow and mature in Him. I remember the context of this is the Sermon on the Mount, which began in Matthew chapter number 5, and Jesus is not preaching this to children. As, you know, oftentimes that's kind of how we initiate children in praying is the Lord's Prayer, which is found here. Uh, but remember, He's not directing this lesson at little ones or at young people. And therefore, you and I know it certainly is for us this morning. But if you will, I ask you to stand, Matthew chapter number 6, and begin reading in verse number 5. The Bible says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth the things, knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. And what I would like for us to do, and you'll have to follow the screen just so we're reading the same, I'd like for us to read this prayer together. I'll start and, and, and you can join in with me as we read the prayer, uh, our Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And then I'm going to read verses 14 and 15 as well. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Lord, we thank you this morning for the day you've given us. God, we thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you for the blood that we're able to sing about this morning that was shed for us. God, I'm thankful it's still sufficient. Lord, for sinners today, there is still hope in the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, for those of us that have come to know the blood of Jesus as our salvation, I'm thankful for it this morning. We want to unite our hearts together and lift up praise unto your name, the one alone who is worthy, who has provided us this means of salvation. Not, uh, Lord, not because we had done anything to deserve it or because you owed us anything, but God, by a complete testimony of your, your mercy and your compassion and your grace. And Father, we rejoice in that today. Thank you for the sufficiency of our salvation. It's not the blood plus us doing this or that or the blood and us staying away from this or that, but God, the blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God, we are thankful for that today. Lord, thankful that we can proclaim that hope to those that might be in this congregation this morning that are lost. God, we're thankful for prayer that you have given us the opportunity to call upon you, to look unto you, and to declare our dependence on you through prayer. And I pray that you'd help us this morning to grow and mature in this practice and this spiritual discipline. God, create in us a greater heart and burden to commune and fellowship with you. And Lord, help us to learn more about what prayer is and what, how you have taught us to pray. God, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for the light it brings into our life. Thank you for delivering us from darkness. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for first loving us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. Luke chapter number 18, verse number 1 says, And he, this, uh, the he is Jesus, Spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. S.M. Lockridge has a tremendous sermon that he preached on this passage of scriptures you can find on YouTube where I've heard it. Uh, he's an older man, no longer living, so it's probably the best place to find it. But he was a, it's a tremendous sermon, I think. Uh, it's about an hour long if you watch the whole video, but it's one of those messages that you begin listening and it's like 10 minutes passes and it's over. It uh, just draws your attention and his delivery is excellent. It draws out many powerful, powerful truths. You've maybe heard part of it, especially around Easter. You've heard the, maybe the short and condensed version where at the end of it, based on the part of the prayer where it says, Thy kingdom come, 
the saying or the, the video or the phraseology where S.M. Lockridge says powerful things about Jesus, then he'll say, that's my king. Well, that comes from this message that he preached. That's a short excerpt from it. But in, his, in that sermon that he preached, he uses Luke 18.1 to say that Jesus didn't say that men should always work, or Jesus in Luke 18.1 didn't say that men should always play, uh, always play what Jesus said in Luke 18.1, and what he taught uh, those that he was speaking to is that men should always pray and not faint. Luke chapter number 11, verses 1 through 13, contained this same prayer, and I Intend for us to look more specifically at that passage of Scripture on our journey. But in that passage, the Lord offered the prayer, this, this same prayer, at a request from the disciples. The disciples in Luke 11 and 1 asked the Lord to teach them to pray. As S.M. Lockridge again points out in his sermon, the disciples did not ask Jesus to teach them to preach. The disciples did not ask Jesus to teach them to work miracles. Their question or their, their concern in Luke chapter number 11 was that Jesus would teach them how to pray. And I pray this morning that God would align our heart with the heart of those disciples that you and I too might ask or have the concern that the Lord would teach us how to pray. And who better can we have to teach us how to pray than Jesus? And thanks to the disciples' questions, we get to do just that. And these verses of Scripture is what Jesus is doing, is He's teaching people how to pray. I think a lot of people, there's some people you enjoy hearing pray maybe more than others, or some people you've often, maybe you've used the term to say they, they are good at praying, or I enjoy to hear them praying. But prayer is something we all can learn and must learn how to do. Many people Assume you either have a gift of prayer or you don't, and certainly we can have areas where we're strong and other areas where we're maybe not as strong, but prayer is just like anything else where we can learn about it and learn to practice it in a way that pleases Christ. And we can do that, especially through these verses that we find ourselves in this morning in Matthew chapter number 6. Anytime you're wanting to learn something, typically if you're serious about it, you're going to want to find the best teacher. You're going to want to find somebody who you know you can trust, who you know is good at what they do, because the only way you're going to get good is if your teacher is good at whatever it is you're learning. Well, this morning we're not learning to pray from even a dear precious saint of old that knew how to get in touch with the Lord, and certainly there's a, there's a lot to learn from exemplary individuals like that, but we get to learn this morning from the Lord Himself. So may you and I have an eagerness today to sit in the classroom of Jesus and learn to do something that's inseparable from a genuine life of faith, and that is to pray. You cannot live a true Christian life and never pray. It's just that there's, there's a complete contradictory ideology there that you can follow Christ and not pray. I like what the Life Application Study Bible said. It said, too often our prayers are more like shopping lists than conversations. And so this morning, let's seek to grow beyond Praying that's not according to the instruction of Jesus. So how, the question quite simply this morning for our application is, how does Jesus expect me to pray? Well, he says, first of all, in verses 5 and 6, that you and I should pray in private to the Father. He says, after, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, many different instructions, pieces of wisdom, and exhortation that Christ gives us. But he says, when thou prayest, 
after talking about giving alms in the first four verses, he says, when you pray, you shall not pray as the hypocrites. And here's why they're hypocritical. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. And here's the great problem with that. Of course, we know Jesus don't have a problem. He's not speaking against us praying public, publicly in the basis of praying publicly itself is wrong. Well, I thought about last week, he looked at Daniel. Daniel prayed and Daniel went to his private room, but his windows were open. And of course, we know that Jesus don't never want us to pray out in publicly, but the key problem is what it says there in the middle part, or latter part of verse number 5, that they might be seen of men. And so Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Quite an alarming statement from Jesus. I want you to notice too as we begin though in these verses that it doesn't say if you pray as verse number 5 opens. It says when you pray. It's expected that somebody who believes in Christ, somebody who follows Christ, somebody who trusts Him, that He has shed His blood for you, that He is your Redeemer, that one day He will bring you into glory. If we believe that, then it's expected of us that we'll pray. He says when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrite. So from that, we can gather the implication is it's possible to pray, whereas it think, we think naturally we're praying, we're doing a good thing. We can pray wrong. We can pray incorrectly. These individuals he's talking about, he, say, he calls them hypocrites. That word refers to a stage actor who wore a mask, so it came to refer to a pretender or a two-faced person. This group that Jesus is warning us against is a group of people who sought to pray in the most public places possible. They would love this setting right here where they could get up here and have your attention and have your, vo have your ears to their voice and then they would begin to pray. But they're not concerned with whether God hears them or not. That's the least of their concern. What their concern is, is are you hearing them? Are you thinking, man, they really know how to pray or man, they must really be close to God because listen at their voice as they pray, these individuals that Jesus is warning us against, that was their heart and that was their motivation. Is What does the people that hear me think about me as I offer this prayer? They didn't care if they had an audience with God or not. They just wanted an audience with the voices of men. And Jesus says to this, for those that did not care if they were heard of God or not, Jesus says they'll have their reward. They'll have their punishment. Jesus' words here again are not warning us against praying in public. Praying in public can be a testimony. Praying in public can be a way to bring glory to the Father, but can it also be done in a prideful, self-exalting way. And that's what Jesus is warning us about. He's warning us about the wrong motivation for prayer. Prayer should not be something that you and I use for personal glorification. When I pray in front of you, even I was challenged this week in studying these verses because I'm often praying in public. I'm often praying in front of you. And as I pray, is my heart to, to talk to my Father? Is my heart to lift my voice to Him? Or is my motivated by what will people think? Or will my prayers sound good in the, eye, in the eyes and ears of people? We have to check. Verse number 5 requires us to check our motivation for praying, especially in public. So Jesus says on the flip side of that, here's your instruction. Here's what not to do, but here's what you should do on the other side of that coin. He says, when you pray, again, when, when you pray, enter into thy closet. 
When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And I love this. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Jesus instructs his followers. Those that would genuinely come after him. Those that would genuinely live by his instruction. He says, rather than seeking to find the most public place. I think the implication is, is that these hypocrites... They never prayed in private. They never found their closet. They never genuinely sought a relationship with God. The only time they ever prayed was when they had a big, large audience. That's when they would pray. So Jesus says, on the contrary to that, what you need to do is find your closet. What that refers to is an inner room of a house. It wouldn't have had any windows. It was a private room. And Jesus says, when you go there, shut the door. It's privacy. And pray Completely opposite of praying that you may be seen of men. He says, pray to your Father, which is in secret. And your Father, which seeth in secret, will reward you openly. See, we pray not to find an audience with men. We pray to talk to our Father. I think uh, for you and I, an application of this, a way to apply this is in terms of social media. You see, social media in our day is a platform kind of similar to uh, what the synagogue could have been, where it says they're praying, standing in the synagogues in the corner of the street. Social media is our platform to get attention. And social media is our platform to have everybody look at our lives, kind of similar to what this public situation would have been in verse number 5. And I would encourage anybody to express your faith on, in those avenues. But again, we have to check our motivation. Are we, are we putting forth Bible verses on our social media? Are we putting forth these things so that people think, man, what a good person, what a good godly individual. Or is our heart and our attitude to have an audience with God? If, you, if your primary concern is to have an audience with God, then your prayer is not going to only live on Facebook. And your prayer is not going to only be prayed as you type in the letters through your phone or through your keyboard. That prayer is going to be birthed somewhere else. The essence here, again, kind of like Daniel. I thought about Daniel as I studied these verses. Daniel went and prayed not because he wanted the, those individuals who passed that decree to see him. Daniel went and prayed because he had a genuine desire to follow God and to live out his faith. That has to be the motivation of our prayer. Why else would you go pray in public or private? Why else would you go pray in your inner chamber? It's because it's about your personal relationship with God. You don't care if anybody sees you. You just want to talk to your father. That has to be the motivation of our prayer life. And I think this involves faith because these individuals that Jesus is telling to go and pray in your closet and then once you've prayed in secret, your Father which sees in secret will reward you and open. When they come out of their closet, nobody's going to know whether they prayed or not. I mean, that's the essence. That's why it's about a genuine relationship with God. That person don't care because they don't care that men see them. They don't care that there's no evidence of their praying. Again, by no means take that I'm minimizing public praying. But I am trying to bring out the truth that we have to be concerned and cautious about our motivation in the public aspects of our life. If what I do in public, I think if I say it this way is fair, if I, what I do in public does not match what I do in private, there's a problem. If the way you hear me pray on Sunday morning, and I don't pray again until we come back on Wednesday night, that's a problem. If what you do on social media does not correlate in any way with what you do in private, there's the problem. 
there's evidence that what you're doing is just for the eyes of men. And that's what Jesus is cautioning us about here in these verses. But what, what a tremendous blessing closes out verse number 6. We pray in faith and we pray in secret. But here's the good news. Your Father sees in secret. Those prayers you pray in your closet, and I think this could be a literal closet, this could be a figurative closet, where you just pray in private, where you might just pray when nobody's home, or you pray off in a room by yourself, not that you literally have to put yourself in a closet, but the, the principle is that you pray in private. You pray whether people see in you or not. And here's the great news. When you pray those prayers, your Father sees you in that secret place. Your Father hears the prayers that you pray, whether men ever hear the prayers that you pray, whether someone else ever hears the outward voice of your prayer. Your Father, which is in heaven, hears your prayers, and He sees those prayers that you pray in secret. Whether you ever get an audience when you pray, whether you ever get called on to pray in a service, God sees the prayers you pray in secret. The Bible says He'll reward you openly. If there's ever an encouragement for prayer, I think there you have it. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying is you are not, when you feel like your prayers are a waste of time, Remember that God sees in secret. When you feel like nobody hears you, or you feel like God does not hear you, and you feel like it's not worth it, remember the end of verse number 6. Your Father which sees in secret will reward you openly. He hears your prayers. But also Jesus says to avoid meaningless words in verses 7 and 8. So he says again, when you pray, don't use vain repetition. As the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before ye ask him. Here you have a good, a good example of why you have to be careful looking at other men for your example. Jesus says, don't be like them. We, you and I have to be careful whose example we follow. Always, we have to come back to the Scriptures. Because Jesus himself said, here's a crowd of people you don't want to be like in your praying. They set a bad example. He says, don't use vain repetitions. Now again, we pray, what we have to understand is Christ is not moving us away from praying persistently. In Luke 11, when we study that passage of scripture, you'll find Jesus encourages us to pray persistently, to pray. Remember, he says, not. Talks about the individual who continues to continues to ask for what they're wanting, and the, and eventually they're given their request just because the person's tired of hearing it. So what does this vain repetitions mean? Jesus is not saying we can only pray for something one time and then never revisit it again. Vain repetitions means chatter, long-winded. I think the definition that brings it to life for me is utter empty words. To say the same things over and over using idle words or babble. Jesus says there's some people who do this, and the reason they do it is because they think that just because their, their prayer's real long, that they're going to be heard. I think Jesus is leading us, based on verse number 7, to a principle that of quality, not quantity, is a principle of prayer. A prayer is not good or bad because it's 15 minutes versus 5 minutes. The whole motivation for these heathen that are described in verse number 7 is 
They just prayed a long time. But what they're asking for, they did not mean. What they're asking for, they did not really care if it came to be about or not. Is Their words are meaningless. It's what Jesus is warning us about, it's instructing us is that our heart should be involved in what we're praying. Jesus is not interested in us just spitting off words, especially words that we don't mean. That's not praying. Jesus would have us to pray with passion. Prayers where your heart's involved, where you genuinely want to see what you're praying for. Praying persistently for something you genuinely, your heart longs for and your heart desires, that's pleasing to Christ. But just saying stuff over and over again, and whether you care about it or not, that's what we're being warned about. Jesus says, don't be like that crowd. Our hearts should be involved in our prayers. And here's an encouragement the Lord gives not to follow this example. He says, your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. Again, I've said this before, but when you and I pray, we're not telling the Lord about anything He don't already know about. We're not making Him aware of what's going on in our life because He's unaware. We're not reporting the daily news to the Lord when we pray. He knows all these things. He knows what we have need of before we ask Him. So there's no need to follow this impure example of prayer that the heathen offer. But then Jesus says, He gives an example. In my uh, school, many of you know, I uh, started school back when I was a youth pastor to become a teacher and, and uh Still working on that, finishing that up here in a couple months. But one thing they try to teach you is there's this thing called guided practice where you introduce content to your students and then before you set them loose on it, you guide them through it. So you work them through problems. They see you work it out. You might ask them some questions, but you're there to, to guide them. You're there to affirm it if they're correct. Well, I think that's kind of what we see Jesus doing here. He gives them the instruction on prayer, but then he offers them guided practice, if you will. He says... All right, here's, here's what you should do. After this manner, therefore pray ye. What you and I have to understand is Jesus is not saying that this is the only thing we can ever pray every time we ever pray. That's why he says after this manner. After this example, you should pray. I like what Dr. David Jeremiah said. He said, because people are prone to pray for their whims and interests... The Lord's Prayer provides an outline that encourages a more focused prayer life. Those who pray according to this model pray the priorities of the Heavenly Father. Again, it's not that what we have to understand when Jesus says after this manner. Follow this example. This is a framework for you and I to guide our prayers. He starts it with our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name heard someone say before that we're the way this prayer is started reminds us of our community of believers he does not just say my father of course not that we cannot start our prayers that way but when he says our father we're reminded that there's brothers and sisters there's a we in this thing and he calls God his father that personal fellowship that personal communion that special relationship that loving and caring relationship that God has for you and I then he says our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means to treat as holy. It means to regard as special or sacred. Again, this principle that we follow in our prayers, that we recognize the holiness, 
the sacredness of God as we pray. Yes, He's our Father. Yes, there's that special relationship. There's that communion. There's that specialness where we're talking to one who is our Father. But also, we remember that hallowed is His name. We think about, like we've been studying in Sunday school, when in 2 Samuel they touched the ark in a way they shouldn't have, that death came. We remember that hallowed is His name. Remember like Moses at the burning bush when God told him to take off his shoes and he fell down on his face. We also bring that element to our prayers where we reverence who we're talking to. That we're talking to the one who's holy. We're talking to the one who's absolute perfection. We're talking to the one who has no error, has no fault, and has no impurity. Hallowed be his name. We remember that he is in heaven. It's the setting apart of who we're talking to. He says, your kingdom come, in verse number 10. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Notice, up to this point, there's not a single personal request, if you will, been made. There's been acknowledgement of who God is. There's been adoration for God. Hallowed be His name. And He prays for God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom to come spiritually in the hearts of His people. I think literally, the literal reign of Christ to come. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The utmost concern of our prayers is that God's will be done. We know that God knows best. We know that His way is righteousness. One thing I think that will revolutionize, and that might, you'll understand what I mean as I explain, our prayer life is, and we understand prayer is not to get God on my page. Prayer is not to get God to line up with me. Prayer is to get me on God's page. Prayer is to line me up according to God's will, not to make God align with my will. So Jesus prays or teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't just pray to get what we want. We pray to seek for what God wants. We pray that His will be done above all things. But then in verse number 11 is where the first physical need or the first physical request comes into this prayer. He says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. This is the, where he brings in to mention his physical needs. He calls upon his Father. He recognizes his holiness, the hallowedness of his name. Prays for his kingdom to come. But then he mentions his physical needs. Certainly in our prayers, there's a place, there's an opportunity, there's a basis that Christ gives us to bring our physical needs, our earthly needs to the Lord. S.M. Lockridge, and again that sermon I mentioned, he says this, Every one of us has a check made out on the bank of heaven, but many fail to cash it at the window of prayer. You and I can take our burdens, our concerns, the things that might trouble us, and take them to the Lord. You see, there is a dependence in that prayer. God, give us this day, this as Jesus is praying, we're seeing the dependence that He has on His Father to take care of Him. As we pray, we recognize the same. That's the heart of our prayer life. We know we need Him. And then He goes on, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a humility we must pray with uh, as we 
come before the Lord. And I think verses 14 and 15 fit right in with verse 12. It says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What this is not teaching is that we lose our justification or we're back and forth. That's not what's being referred to. But there's a principle here that if we've been forgiven, and if we truly understand the forgiveness of Christ, then we must offer that same forgiveness to others. Because we are going to be wrong. We're going to have people that do us wrong. But in this prayer, the request is that we would be forgiven ourselves and the reminder that we must forgive other people. The word debts... As it's mentioned in verse number 12, means offense or sin. The word forgive means to release or let go or to permit to depart. So as we pray, it's, it's biblical, it's right to pray for the forgiveness of our debts where we've failed and where we've fallen short. Not that we've lost our salvation, not that we have lost our purity through the blood of Christ, but we can lose our fellowship. We still recognize that while we are saved and set apart for Christ, we have not fully been glorified yet, and we are still prone to sin. There's still sin in our life, and we ask God to forgive us. And we, as he proceeds in verse number 13, he says, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Temptation... And the scriptures can refer to positive and negative. Positively, it can refer to the sense and way God tests us, to prove us, to try us. But also, it can mean the negative sense, and that you're tempted or lured or enticed to do evil. We know that God does not do this. But even if it's referring to, and commentators say back and forth, which way is it meant right here? But even in those times where God tests us, if it's used in the positive sense, you and I can become weak in those times. So it's fair that we pray, lead us not into temptation. Certainly we pray that God would not lead us into the allurements, the enticements of Satan. Rather, we pray that God would deliver us from evil. And I can honestly say this has become a prayer I've prayed over my life and my family's life, that God would deliver us from evil. Because if you look around you today, there's evil all around you. Husbands, there's evil all around you. God, deliver us from evil. There's opportunity all around you for you to be unfaithful to your wife. There's opportunity all around wives for you to be unfaithful to your husband. There's evil all around us. As a pastor, there's areas in which I can fall, in which I can bring reproach upon the ministry. There's areas where outside of that as a husband, I can fail. We should not get so... Prideful that this evil cannot overtake us, so we make this our prayer. God, deliver me from evil. Your young people are surrounded by evil. If you don't pray anything else for your young people, for your children, pray, deliver them from evil. It's all around us. So what a powerful but a simple prayer. God, deliver me from evil. And then he concludes the prayer, For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. If you use a newer translation, it may not have that final phrase, For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. At least in that, in that 
within the verses. The ESV, I know, for example, does not include it in the text itself, but has it as a footnote. And the reason for that is some of the oldest or uh, manuscripts that were found after the King James Version was written did not have that included. Just to explain why I'll, that for you, if you're wondering why it might not be in your Bible, he concludes his prayer with amen. Uh, you hear that said all the time in church circles and often wonder if people know what it means and why it's used, what's the purpose of that word. The word can be paraphrased, paraphrased amen can be paraphrased, so let it be. So it's like if I'm preaching and you say, man, basically what you're saying is, is what he just said, I say the same thing. That's what the word amen means. It's aligning yourself fully with and agreeing with what has been said. I like what the ESV study Bible said. It said the first three petitions focus on the preeminence of God while the final three focus on personal needs in a community context. So before he ever, Jesus ever instructed us about bringing our personal needs, there's a recognition of who God is, His hallowedness, His holiness. And then we come to the Lord with our requests and our concern. Again, this morning, the ability to pray has nothing to do with how loud you pray or how long you pray. Jesus does not mention any of that when he taught the disciples how to pray. What he did teach them is not to pray for man's attention. Prayer is about our personal relationship with God. He taught them not to pray with meaningless words. Our heart should be involved when we pray. Prayer is not just spitting off what you've heard all your life. Prayer is not just spitting off the prayers you've heard your favorite preachers say. Prayer is you voicing your concern, your genuine concerns to God. And he taught them to pray or to honor Him as they pray, to seek His will and to bring their personal needs before Him. So be sure to do these things as you pray. Be thankful this morning that Jesus didn't leave us to pray blindly, to just figure it out. We have these instructions. He provided us with this lesson on how to do one of the most critical exercises of our faith. As we stand this morning, or our musicians will come around Begin to play a song of invitation. Let's leave you with a rather simple question this morning based on the passage of Scripture, based on the text. And that is, will you hear and apply this lesson? Know from reading this, Jesus would have us to pray. Jesus would expect us to pray. The question is, will you follow the lesson he's given? Prayer is just like everything else. We have to come under the Lordship of Christ. And here he's taught us how to pray. And the question is, will you and I hear his teaching and follow what he shared with us? As Mark comes around and leads us in a song, if you need to come and pray, if you have a personal request, a personal need you need to bring before the Lord, be a great opportunity to do that as Mark leads us in a song. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.